In March 2020, Lompoc Federal Correctional Complex was home to the largest COVID outbreak in a prison in the United States. More than 1,200 incarcerated individuals were infected, and five died. At one point, those infected made up more than 65% of positive tests in all of Santa Barbara County. The American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, filed a class action lawsuit against the Bureau of Prisons, alleging that the agency didn't do enough to prevent the outbreak. That lawsuit finally reached a settlement last month, more than two years after it was filed. I spoke with attorney Oliver Rockus, a partner at Bird Morella, uh, which is one of the law firms working with ACLU and PLO, which is the Prison Litigation Office, uh, on this class action uh, with respect to you know, COVID and the conditions at Lompoc Prison. Raka said that COVID worsened already unsafe conditions within the prison. I mean, I think they were they were the sort of conditions that you would expect. Frankly, I think uh, as a whole, it's it's generally known that you know conditions in prison are not particularly good. Um, there's obviously certain issues with overcrowding that are well known and well documented. And I think particularly uh, the problem with COVID, obviously, was that you know, certainly as we got towards sort of May and June. Um, there was a lot of emphasis going on with respect to the general public on social distancing and how crucial that was to ensure that, you know, I guess flattening the curve, to use a term that was so familiar back then, um, could occur. But obviously within, you know, a prison, I mean, that's just not you know, usually very possible, particularly depending on the design of the prison. And I think Lompoc itself um, just didn't lend itself to, you know, social distancing. I mean, you have down to issues such as, you know, where there are bars uh, instead of, you know, solid doors, obviously air can circulate more and, you know, conditions were were very were very difficult anyway. But certainly when you add in, you know, a pandemic such as, you know, COVID-19, um, you had it spreading within lots and lots of prisoners extremely quickly. Um, you know, prison medical uh, facilities are not um, world class, if we can put it that way, um, and certainly when you when you factor in you know, the number of people that were getting unwell, um, the difficulty of treating those people, um, it was just simply a, a very bad situation you know, for everyone involved. And obviously there was a lot of you know, fear and concern amongst the prisoners um, that you know this could be something that would cause them you know, at least some very severe illness. Um, but it could even go worse than that and cause you know, deaths if, if they weren't able to get the treatment that they needed. Um, and unfortunately, that was the case for you know, several people at Lompoc. They did die as a result of COVID-19, and a lot of other people certainly faced some pretty severe illness. Um, yeah. you know, there were certain, certain other issues that you know, are documented in the complaint um, with you know, issues regarding you know, PPE, for example. It was very difficult for members of the general public to get PPE. Um, you know, everything from, you know, gloves to masks to, you know, sufficient soap and everything. Uh, and the prison system was not immune to that. Um, so there were certainly some concerns that, you know, there just simply weren't the resources available to allow prisoners to do everything that they could to protect themselves. Um, and certainly, you know, the Bureau of Prisons was having some difficulties protecting, you know, the, those within their care. Those incarcerated in the prison also faced difficulties communicating with loved ones. Obviously, with the spread of the pandemic, um, certain, you know, certain facilities, most federal facilities, I think, across the country were effectively closed. Um, you know, prison officers aren't in a position where they can work from home. But obviously one of the main 
you know, vectors for transmitting diseases is people bringing you know, in illnesses from outside. So visiting hours were you know, ended. Um, certainly there was a lot more difficulty with, you know, with anyone being able to contact, you know, individuals within the prison because of that. And also because, you know, instead of having those, you know, the physical visitations, there was obviously more of an emphasis on being able to call people and email people, uh, you know, who, who people would normally want to go and see. Um, so I think there were some resource strains there uh, that certainly made things more difficult. Uh, I think that was certainly exacerbated somewhat by the fact that, you know, when when people did have COVID, um, certainly at the beginning, um, a lot of people were placed in what's called the shoe, um, you know, which is essentially that, you know, uh, uh, like solitary confinement. Um, and in order to you know, try and limit the spread of, of illness within the prison, you know, they weren't allowed to have access to the same you know, communication opportunities that they usually would have been would have been able to access. Um, so it made life very difficult for sure. Central to the lawsuit was reducing the population within the prison, Rakas explained. What we wanted to do was to ensure that the prisoners within Lompoc had the very best circumstances that they could have when dealing with this pandemic. Uh, And as far as we were concerned, there were really two ways in which we could make that happen. The first way was to have transferred to home confinement as many people as possible for which home confinement would be suitable. Now, there are certain limitations on that. You know, certainly people with certain violent backgrounds, for example, you know, people with certain other you know, offenses that would just simply make them unsuitable for confinement at home, they were never going to be you know, transferred out. And as much as we might think that certain individuals should have that opportunity, the BOP has a wide range of discretion and they use that discretion in order to limit the number of people that were going to be transferred. But obviously, removing as many people from the prison environment would just create more space for all of those people who did remain, even if you were of, of you know, had the certain criminal background that would mean that you weren't going to be transferred. It doesn't mean that you should just be exposed to COVID-19 and, and bear the brunt of it. The other thing that we really sought to try and do was to improve the conditions within the prison. Um, and that would involve all sorts of changes from, you know, pressuring, frankly, just to have more PPE, uh, certainly pressuring to you know, try, and, try and use in the most efficient way all of the space that was available within the prison to separate people out to the maximum degree and provide that opportunity for social distancing. Uh, and then obviously as, as time went on and you know, vaccines, you know, frankly, were created and uh, became available to people you know, within the BOP system, um, we tried to increase you know, vaccine education to allow those prisoners to, you know, who wanted vaccines to understand what it was that, that it involved and to take that opportunity to go ahead and get them. Um, a lot of our activity obviously came right at the beginning of the case where we worked very hard to get this preliminary injunction in place. It's been in place slightly over two years now. It came down on July 14th, 2020. Uh, and a big part of that success was showing you know, how terrible the situation was at Lompoc. And that was really the genesis of uh, a pretty substantial expansion in home confinement, which resulted in you know, a few hundred people being granted home confinement, a fair number of others being transferred to because what are commonly known as halfway houses, but their, their more official title is residential reentry centers um, that would allow them to be reintegrated into the community perhaps somewhat more quickly than they otherwise would have been. 
Uh, and that made a pretty substantial impact on the population within Lompoc and really made, I think in our view, a pretty substantial difference to the number of people that were, that were you know, infected with COVID-19. Um, obviously, over the course of, you know, the more than two years of this lawsuit, there's been you know, a wide range of discussions with the government. You'll have seen, you know, looking through the docket, that there were quite a few filings seeking to enforce the preliminary injunction because, in our view, the BOP wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing pursuant to those orders. Um, but I think the goal was always to reach, you know, an accommodation with the BOP where, you know, the BOP would would really be maximising the resources that it was directing towards Lompoc in order to try and reduce as much as possible the risk that COVID-19 posed to inmates. And we think that our settlement does that. Raka said it's important to clarify that just because the settlement has been reached, that doesn't mean everything is finalized. The settlement itself um, is really only a proposed settlement. So in other words, the attorney, you know, me and other attorneys that I'm working alongside you know, have been in detailed discussions with the government for you know, several months. Um, we reached, you know, at the end of those negotiations, a settlement that we believe is you know, a, a fair and appropriate settlement um, of the action. Uh, we, we reached out to what are called the named petitioners. Uh, we had their approval to you know, go ahead and propose a settlement to the court. The process that's being followed now is the court has uh, provided what's known as you know, preliminary approval of the settlement. And at the minute, we're in the middle of about a two-month process where individuals who want to comment on uh, the proposed settlement or lodge objections uh, can and are doing that. Uh, a lot of them are being filed with the courts and other ones are being sent to, you know, to me and my colleagues. Uh, at the end of that process, there will be uh, a further hearing uh, at, uh, at you know, the courthouse downtown. Um, and the court will essentially review you know, the settlement again, listen to the comments and objections that it's able to you know, hear from, from inmates and other individuals you know, affected by the settlement, uh, and will then reach its final view. Um, we'll make a determination as to whether you know, the settlement will or will not be approved. Um, you know, we obviously like to think that the settlement will be approved, um, because we do think that it's in the best interest of everyone. But there are obviously a lot of passions involved here, and there's a lot of inmates in, in Lompoc who still are facing very difficult situations. Um, and it's important that their voices be heard and, and that the court listen to them. Uh, as to you know the, the terms of the settlement, uh, I mean, we should... You know, the, the settlement itself is, is public, so anyone who wants to go ahead and look at it you know, can certainly go ahead and look at it if that's what they want to, that's what they want to do. Um, but in essence, what the settlement does is it, it preserves the status quo with respect to the home confinement process. And so far as there was a whole process established for home confinement back in July you know, 2020 with a preliminary injunction. Um, it's been refined a couple of times since then. But it requires the BOP to identify individuals um, who have certain underlying health conditions. Uh, it requires them to review them in good faith to determine whether they're suitable for home confinement. And if they are, uh, and so long as they have an appropriate place to go to, um, that home confinement needs to go ahead and be processed so that then they can serve out at least a period of their, of their sentence um, you know, in either their, their home or someone else's home um, that, that's been approved um, so that they can escape, obviously, the, the risk of catching COVID-19 at Lompoc. Uh, and really the other part of the settlement is just ensuring that 
you know, all of the conditions that you know, are present for those who are still in Lompoc are improved with certain PPE and certain you know, additional um, reporting requirements to make sure that you know, for those who can't get granted home confinement, they at least have the best possible environment for them within Lompoc. While the process is ongoing, Rakas hopes that future attorneys can look to the Lompoc class action lawsuit for guidelines on further prison reform. Certainly we view our lawsuit as something of a blueprint for you know, other attorneys who need to deal with other situations for their clients or classes of clients. Um, and hopefully it allows them to be able to see what it is that we've done and what we've been able to achieve so that they can agitate for you know, further prison reform and really to make sure that those who are within you know, the Bureau of Prisons Care receive the care that they're entitled to, not just you know, for humanitarian reasons, but under the Constitution. That was Oliver Rockus, a partner at the law firm Bird Morella. You can find more information about the case at aclusocal.org. With KCSB News, I'm Ashley Resch.